Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 4 through 9 of Philippians chapter 4. We're in a series called We Want to Be. And it's a series that talks about what we as a church, I hope at least, want to be. And last week, the first of the series was we want to be what? Friendly. Friendly. That's right. How many of you were friendly this morning when you came in? Raise your hand. Yeah. All right. We need more people to be friendly. That's right. Be friendly. We want to be known as a church that's friendly. And uh, But today we're going to go to another something that we want to be or we want to be. You see, God is concerned certainly with what we do, with what we say, with how we think. But what we do, what we say, how we think is influenced by one other thing that you and I uh, have to grapple with. And that something that influences is attitude, our attitude toward ourselves, toward our families, toward our church, toward our friends, toward our world. Our attitude will determine how we act, what we say in certain circumstances, and how we think. You see, the word attitude comes from uh, an ancient Greek word that literally means uh, fastening to the mind. So what you fasten to your mind, that is your attitude, influences everything else about your life. If you are a negative person, then what you say uh, more often than not will be negative. What you think will be negative thoughts. How you act will be negative. And the world will view you as such. Will view us as such. But what we're going to read today in Philippians chapter 4 is a passage of Scripture in which the Apostle Paul, who had every reason in the world to be negative chose to be positive. We want to be positive. Now, folks, let me tell you something. How many, of you, uh, how many of you have invited Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior and Lord? Raise your hand. And therefore, how many of you believe you're going to heaven when you die? Raise your hand. Listen, if you're going to heaven when you die, you and I ought to be the most positive people on the face of the planet. Amen? I don't know what happened to the rest of you with that amen there. This is the most amen-less bunch of folks I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, I'm going to heaven when I die. And when I get there, it's going to be more perfect than the sum total of every perfect or near-perfect experience I've had in this world. And it's going to last forever. How can I not be positive? Well, I am negative sometimes, but I have no reason to be. And I'll tell you something else. This church, our church, Palmetto Baptist Church, if you look at churches of like size and like history, there are a lot of churches on a respirator these days. There are a lot of churches that are on their way to closing. There are a lot of churches that, yeah, when the people in them die, they're going to heaven and they ought to be positive. But when they look at the future of their church, there isn't much to be positive about. We, on the other hand, have everything, every reason to be positive. 
There is no doubt that God has his hands on this church, on you. We need to be positive. There is no excuse for being negative. Well, I need to read the scripture before I start preaching, don't I? Well, let's do that. We want to be positive. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. You read, look at this with me and just see if the Apostle Paul is, has any negative uh, thought in his bones. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. That is worry about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Does that sound positive or negative? I'd like to hear everybody answer that. Positive or negative? Tell me. Pretty positive to me. In fact, I don't see a negative word in there. I don't see a downhearted, downlooking, condemning downtrodden word in any of those wonderful verses. All of it is very positive. It's positive. Now get this. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter, was in jail. Hello? He was in jail. He was in prison when he wrote this letter. In fact, he wrote four letters this time when he was in prison. They released him and he got to go out for a little while and then they rearrested him. And when he was arrested the second time, he wrote one other letter. There are five of Paul's letters that were written in prison. Philippians is one of four written in his first Roman imprisonment. And he's not arrested for committing a crime. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't abuse anybody. He didn't steal anything. He didn't defraud anybody. He's in prison because he's a Christian and because he's a Christian who loves people and starts churches and because he's a Christian who reaches out to people who are lost and tries to give them hope. That's the reason they arrested him. That's the reason that he's in prison. One of my favorite uh, charities, it's not really a Christian charity. In fact, it's not a Christian charity at all, but it's a charity that I, I firmly believe in and I, and I support when I can. It's called the Innocence Project. The Innocence Project, through DNA testing, goes into prisons and uh, men and women, in some cases mostly men, who are in prison, especially on death row, with DNA evidence. They go back into the closed cases, the Innocence Project does, and they reexamine the DNA. In many cases, uh, the crimes were committed and the cases were launched back when DNA testing was not a possibility. The Innocence Project goes back and retests the DNA to see if the person truly was guilty. Did you know that in the last 10 years, there have been over 350 death row inmates exonerated through DNA evidence by the work of the Innocence Project? Can you imagine that? Now, that doesn't seem to bother a lot of people. It sure does bother me. It bothers me that an innocent person could be put on death row or in prison for any reason for for committing a crime that they did not commit. And the evidence that is there shows 
otherwise. Paul was in prison for a crime that really wasn't a crime. He was in prison when he was an innocent man. He has every reason to be negative. Not only that, he's writing to the the church at Philippi, a church he founded. And at the time that Paul is writing to uh, the church at Philippi, the city of Philippi in the province or state of Macedonia is going through a recession. We know what a recession is, don't we? We know what it feels like to be in a recession. Some of you, a few of you, Vaguely remember what it's like to be, to go through a depression, let alone a recession. And yet Paul is amazed how this church going through a recession, seemingly with no financial possibilities whatsoever, keeps supporting his ministry, his missionary endeavors. He was positive, though he was in prison. They were positive, even though they were in poverty. It's amazing. Listen, folks, if they can be positive, we can be positive. Paul encourages this church to continue being what they were already being, and that is positive. In fact, he's so serious about about churches having a positive attitude that at the beginning of this passage, he repeats a phrase, an admonition. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. That's verse 4. Then he says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Why did he say it again? You go throughout scripture, anytime there's a name that's repeated twice or anytime there's an instruction or an encouragement that is presented twice, it it means that, that you are to double down in your efforts. It means listen carefully to what I'm about to say. And so here Paul repeats himself and by doing so he indicates that we, just like the Philippian church, should double our efforts to be positive. I'll tell you, I don't care what's happening around you or me. I don't care how good the times are or how bad the times may seem. We have absolutely zero reason to be negative. Zero. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't agree with that. I can think of many reasons to be negative. Listen, wipe that smirk off your face, curve up the side of that smile and be positive. The Lord tells us to be positive. He says, look, he said, it is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. There's nothing about Jesus that's negative. There's nothing, obviously, about Paul that's negative. In fact, if we were to read throughout the rest of this chapter, everything he talks about here is positive. You know Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that negative or positive? Tell me. The rest of you, tell me. A few verses later in verse 19, he says to them, he says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Is that negative or positive? Tell me. It's positive. What more need I say to us to convince us that regardless of our situation, regardless of what we may see around us, we ought to be Positive. Now, Paul gives us some traits of positive thinking. And I want to share those with you here this morning. Trait number one is this, that being positive depends upon the proximity of the Lord in your life. 
And basically, the argument goes like this. The closer you and I are to the Lord, the more reason we should have to be positive. Paul basically says this. He says, again, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness, a synonym there for a, a form of being positive, let your gentleness be evident to all. And then what's the next, what are the next four words? The Lord is near. The closer we are to the Lord, the more reason we have to be positive. The more that we put our trust in the Lord, in his control over our world, in, in our hope in him for eternal life when we live here, but not only for, for when we live, uh, leave here and go to the hereafter, but our hope for eternal life here and now. You see, eternal life is not something that begins the first breath after you die. It begins the first breath after you receive Christ as your Savior. If you are a Christian, you already have eternal life. And therefore, you have every reason in this world to be positive. Being positive depends upon the proximity, the closeness or lack thereof of the Lord in your life. I'm not saying that if you're close to the Lord, you won't be sad sometimes. I'm not saying that if you're close to the Lord, that life won't tumble in sometimes. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that if life tumbles in and if you wake up one morning and you're overwhelmed with sadness, the best place to be when life tumbles in is close proximity to the Lord. I didn't get a single amen. amen. Y'all believe that, don't you? Hello? Yes. Do y'all believe that or not? Yes. Well, then say so. Be positive about it. Number two, being positive hinges, or being positive is the, added, is the result of replacing worry with three particular things, Paul says, with prayer, gratitude, and peace. Here's what he says, beginning with verse six, going into verse seven. Do not be anxious about anything. That's worry. Anxiety is worry. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, prayer is is a conversation with God. Petition is asking God. With thanksgiving, you know what thanksgiving is. Present your request to God. So that's prayer and gratitude. And then he says this, verse 7, And when you do this, the peace of God, which is a peace that transcends all understanding. In other words, when, when life tumbles down for you and you are in close proximity to the Lord and you're spending time in prayer with Him, and you are grateful to him, he, in, as a byproduct, in, in, infiltrates you with a peace that you will not be able to comprehend. Why do I feel so peaceful in the middle of this storm? I don't like hurricanes. I don't like hurricane season. I don't like what hurricanes do. But one thing I do like about the way that hurricanes are is that in the middle of them, there is a, an eye. And they tell me that in that eye is one of the most peaceful places that you can ever be. And I think that's an analogy of what Paul is talking about. In the middle of our storms, if we will commit ourselves to being close to the Lord... Stay close to him, be prayerful people, be grateful people that God, as a result, will, will put us in the eye of our storms in a place of peace that we do not understand. Number three, positive 
Being positive hinges on changing your thinking. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, all those things, are they positive or negative? Tell me. The rest of you, are they positive or negative? I don't know what it is about y'all. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that's positive. Think about such things. You say, I can't change my attitude. You certainly can change your attitude. If the Bible says you can change your attitude, guess what? You can change your attitude. And you know how you change it? The Bible says that we change it by changing our thinking. Force yourself to think Christ-like, positive things. You say, well, that's just simplistic uh, psychobabble. No, it's not. It's psychobible. There's a difference. Hello? Ultimately, the key to having a positive attitude is to change our thinking. And Paul gives us some descriptors there. says you need to think on these things. Think upon that which is true, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. These are positive things. He says, think on these things. Somebody says, well, I just can't think of a single praiseworthy thing. Are you kidding me? Listen, I don't care what our situation, I've been in bad situations too. I have been in situations where uh, I thought life was tumbling in. Some of them were my own doing and some of them were the doing of somebody else that I just happened to be in the middle of. But I will tell you this, no matter how bad the situation, there is reason to praise the Lord. I was just thinking about Phil and Sandra Hennefield, our newest, some of our newest members. Phil is a former bivocational pastor. And he has cancer. It's very serious. And he's been going through for several months chemo. He's lost a lot of weight. But the chemo is stabilizing the cancer. It has not grown. It hasn't gone away, but it hasn't grown. He's, and he's gone from one treatment of, of chemotherapy to a different treatment of chemotherapy this past week he got really sick in fact that's the reason that he was not here with us last Sunday because he got sick and had to take him to Piedmont Fayette Hospital for a couple of days a couple of three days the prognosis is not good for Phil you know what Phil did in the emergency room he was joking with the nurses and doctors and witnessing to every single one of them Hey, if Phil Hennefield can do that, surely Jimmy Orr can do that. Surely you can do that. Surely you can. It involves changing your thinking. Number four, and by the way, changing your thinking is something that Paul not only mentions here, he mentions it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You remember, you remember verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. You know what beseech means? It means I beg you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. In other words, don't let the world mold you from without, but be transformed by Christ from within. 
Be transformed, get this, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It involves changing your mind. Number four, being positive is easier also when you hang out with positive people. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, Paul says. See, Paul's putting himself up as a positive influence. That, that, that's kind of audacious on Paul's part, but I guess he's, he's inspired by God. He can do that. Whatever you have learned, received, heard, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, Paul says, look, I've tried to be an example of positive attitude to you. What you have seen in me, what you have heard in me, what you have witnessed in me, put that into practice and you too will be able to experience the kind of peace I feel even though I'm in prison for a crime that really was not a crime. Folks, let's just, let's just put it on the plate, okay? You hang around with negative people, you will become a negative person. And if the negative people you hang out with refuse to change, change your friends. If the media that you watch makes you negative, change your media. You have no reason. You and I have no reason to be negative. We just buried uh, Mr. Jim Barfield this, uh, earlier this month. He was 95. I love Jim Barfield. He was one of the funniest people I ever knew. Always had a story to tell. He was born in 1919. Now, I want you to watch this. Some of you are just so tore out of, out of shape, out of the frame over the shape of our world, the shape of our country, the shape of, of the church, the shape of just everything. I want you to watch this. When Jim Barfield was born, Woodrow Wilson was the 28th president of the United States of America. He carried us through World War I. He was a Democrat. Woodrow Wilson was followed by Warren G. Harding, who died in office, by the way. He was a Republican. Warren G. Harding was followed by cool Calvin Coolidge. He was a Republican. And cool Calvin Coolidge was followed by Herbert Hoover, who also was Republican. Herbert Hoover was defeated by Franklin Delano Roosevelt who was a Democrat, and, and as you know, he, he served three full terms and part of a fourth term, which meant that he served the equivalent of what would be considered two administrations. So for, for, for Roosevelt, just give him another one. So you got three Democratic administrations and three Republican administrations. Are y'all listening to me? Franklin Roosevelt was followed by Harry Truman. Harry Truman was a Democrat. Harry Truman was followed by Dwight David Eisenhower. He was a Republican. 
Dwight David Eisenhower was followed by John F. Kennedy, and he was a Democrat. And Kennedy was followed by Johnson. He's a Democrat. And Johnson was followed by Nixon. He's a Republican. And Nixon was followed by Ford, and he's a Republican. Are y'all watching my hands? Ford was followed by Jimmy Carter, and he's a Democrat. And Jimmy Carter was followed by Ronald Reagan. He's a Republican. And Ronald Reagan was followed by George Herbert Walker Bush, and he's a Republican. And uh, President Bush was followed by President Clinton, and he's a Democrat. And President Clinton was followed by President George W. Bush, and he's a Republican. And President George W. Bush was followed by President Barack Obama, and he's a Democrat. Mr. Jim Barfield, who was born in 1919, lived through 18 presidential administrations. Nine of them were Republican and nine of them were Democrat. So if you find yourself, whatever your affiliation, unhappy at at any given moment, don't get negative. Just hang on for a little while. And I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you, based on American history, in fact, let me tell you, this equal number of political administrations has been true for every period in U.S. history except for that period right after the Civil War when Reconstruction was going on and it was, everything was in chaos. Outside of that anomaly, American history has been cyclical. So if you're, if you're not happy, just sit tight. In a few years, it'll change. What was way over here one day is going to be way over here the next day. And if that makes you mad, it'll get way over here the next day. You know what Christians were saying when Theodore Roosevelt was president of the United States at the turn of the last century? They said, this is the whole whole nation, the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. The Lord must be coming back soon. What are they saying now? The whole nation is going to hell in a handbasket. The Lord must be coming back soon. Boy, I hope he does. Because I'm getting tired of this negativism. I think that would be the most positive thing that could ever happen for the Lord to come back. But let me tell you something. Until he does, you have zero reason to be negative. Walt Whitman, the poet, said, keep your face always toward the sunshine. That way the shadows will always fall behind you. The Christian writer Sidlow Baxter said, What is the difference between an obstacle and an opportunity? Our attitude toward it. Every opportunity has a difficulty and every, doc- every difficulty has an opportunity. It is our attitude that determines how we feel about it. Do you have any reason to be negative? Do you really? Really? You don't. And I don't. 